across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pints! My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour, bringing you an hour of local food and drink. I'm Matt Bentman and here's Alan Alder and Sue Bailey with our latest features. Today we hear about Van der Lyle's temporary morph into a wine bar for two weeks in September. The foraging chef will be here to talk about what can be found in the August tetras and what to do with it. And Steve Thompson will also talk about his new ventures. There's a new bistro, Fansets, opening in Mill Road, continuing the move in the road to good quality eating. We'll be talking to owners Holly and Dan. We've some jam-making advice from Rosie Sykes, and, as usual, we've lots of food and drink news and our job vacancies section. But we'll start in Fenditon, where Mark Poynton is running MJP at the Shepherds. I had a catch-up with him last week, and I asked him about the changes he's been through in the last 18 months. This has been a very interesting year and a half for you, hasn't it, Mark? Because things have changed quite a lot since you were at Alimentum. Yeah, so I left Alimentum three, three and a bit years ago. Did some pop-ups while trying to score MJP restaurants, which obviously was a bit of a struggle at the time. Then took up a residency at Cambridge Cookery School. COVID hit everybody and obviously we all got closed down. So we started doing MJP at home, which was sort of a gourmet heat-at-home food, sort of microwave meals and stuff. And I think we were a bit ahead of the curve with that. We did that before lockdown hit, to be honest. That, so that went really well. But during lockdown, while doing at home, managed to secure the lease on what was the ancient shepherd in Ditton. That's my permanent site. Signed the lease on June, flipped it round redecorated it and opened it on August the 14th 2020 managed to open for 11 weeks before being shut down again as well yeah thank you Boris for that but yeah no managed to open for 11 weeks got reviewed by Michelin managed to receive a Michelin plate which is outstanding food in the category obviously no stars or anything like that reviewed by the Sunday Times as one of the best places to stay in the UK as well quite a good start to life before we got shut down again but again it sort of gave you a bit of a feel of how things were going and any sort of little glitches that of course then you had shut down time to sort out exactly and, and the beauty of signing the lease in the first lockdown was that I managed to change a total different style of direction from what was a pub to a destination restaurant with a bar and rooms and then obviously a yeah, second lockdown I managed to do some more restoration of the place I built a vegetable garden out the back which has helped us through this summer period as well so yeah it's been good so you can literally do fresh to the plate from the back garden yeah exactly as much as possible and on the roof as well uh, we've got peas and well had peas and strawberries on the roof got some tomatoes left uh, tomatoes in the garden strawberries in the garden all different sorts of flowers beans broad beans beetroot radishes turnips raspberries it's, it's been quite quite good not totally self-sustainable because i don't think we ever can be but it's certainly certainly been helpful it's a sort of different feel at MJP at the Shepherds, isn't it? Because it's moved away from drinking type pub to a destination place, but with a different sort of feel to it. So basically we designed the menu, or I designed the menu, however you want to word it, 
into separate sections. You can eat as little or as much as you want, and it's totally transparent. You get charged for what you have. You don't get charged for what you know what you don't have and what you haven't ordered, as some restaurants do. So basically, there's a snack section which has freshly made bread on it, and you know sort of canopy style dishes. And then there's cold plates which are like starter size, and then fish, meat, plant-based plates are all available as starter size or main course size. And then there's a cheese section, and then there's a dessert section. So basically, to build your own menu, so you can have just two small courses, you can have ten small courses, or you can have a traditional three-course dinner so or lunch. Quite, a, it's, it's quite a different different approach to food, I think. I really like it, and in fact, that's often what um, we tend to do is actually perhaps have two or three starters rather than necessarily go for the tradition. And it's it's a very sort of flexible and open-minded way of doing things. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, no, and the customers love it as well, and we can. We literally can go from on a Saturday having some, somebody just come in for a main course of, say, sirloin of beef from Peter Hannon in Northern Ireland to 10 courses. It varies from table to table, and it's really amazing to see that people are happy to do that because, you know, there's always the worry going from the norm will scare people, but everyone seems to have embraced it. And Fenditton's not that far out of Cambridge at all, is it? For all intents and purposes, it is Cambridge. <laughs> you know, we're, we're right next to Cambridge United Football Ground. We're on the River Cam. You know, we are, we are Cambridge. A suburb, if you want, really. Exactly so, yes. And having sort of rode up the river to fend it, I know it's not that far. <laughs> no, it's not at all. It's not at all. You, you, can, you can build up a little first and have a drink in a lounge on your way here, definitely. And you've also been rather creative on the writing front, I gather. Yes. <laughs> My first cookbook, uh, It's Just Food, is released on the 5th of October this year. That's been a bit of a labour of love over the last, over the last five years. The publisher's been chasing me to do it. And I, I didn't think the time was right in a previous restaurant to do it. I knew enough and had a big enough repertoire, you know, to write a cookbook. It seems a few years on, a bit maturer, you know, I'm a bit older, I'm 40 now. And I thought, you know what, if I actually look back at what I have done from Alimentum, from Midsummer House to MJP at home to MJP at the Shepherds, I've actually got quite a lot of dishes that I can I can talk about and write about. So, yeah, it was born out of publisher chasing me for five years and me actually realising I've got enough stuff put in it. So there's, so there's actually quite a big selection of dishes. There's 70 recipes in it. It's pretty much in the format of the Shepherds menu snacks, cold plates, meat, fish, plant-based dessert. And then there's also a selection of the MJP at home dishes as well for people that, that ordered from me during the lockdowns. They'll be actually see some of the, the best-selling dishes from there in the book as well. Because I certainly remember we ordered in lockdown and, and it was a delight to have such beautiful dishes and think, oh, wow, we can't get out, but it can come to us. Yeah, definitely. I think people want that as well because, you know, even though I am a bit of a, a fancy chef, if you, if you put one, I don't know what people people class us as here, but uh, we're definitely the upper end of dining. And I didn't want people to think, oh, I'm not going to buy that book because it's going to be dishes that I can never achieve at home. I wanted things people can actually relate to. That's true because the problem is with some chef cookbook is that very outre, very sort of unusual ingredients first create your veal stock and, and all the rest. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The coffee table books, aren't they? Whereas this is a book you can actually read and there's, there's obviously there's a bit about me in there, my life, childhood, growing up, uh, my years as a chef. A lovely forward from Mr. Daniel Clifford as well. So it's, yes, yeah, it's, it's a good read and a fair chunk of recipes. I sound um, like I'm selling it, don't I? Yeah, you do a bit, but... <laughs> so we're not going to actually see it either on the shelves or in your restaurant yet, but I gather it can be ordered in advance, is that right? Yeah, it can be pre-ordered now from the publisher, which is Away With Media, and you can, yeah, you can pre-order it for delivery on release day, which is, as it stands, is the 5th of October, dependent on shipment from the printers. But it will, it will be on the shelves in the restaurant from release day as well, so you can obviously pop along and get it signed or inscribed and buy it for presents or whatnot. 
So are you going to have a book launch then? Possibly, yeah. A book launch with some of the dishes out of it. I'll have to try and remember how to cook them, won't I? Oh, fair enough. <laughs> it sounds like actually lockdown and, and the pandemic has been a very hard time for us all. But again, it's allowed people to be creative, do things differently, rethink things, actually go forward in, in the best possible way. Yeah, 100%. And that's, that was my thought. Lockdown was hard. It was hard on all of us uh, personally and for business points of view. But, you know, it was time to reset and do the things that we wouldn't have normally done. So it's, it's been exciting as, as well as it's been hard. And I hope, fingers crossed, that we're free all that now through the lockdowns and we can all restart our lives i don't think we i don't think anybody's going to get on with their lives i think we're all restarting our lives aren't we exactly so but dining out and enjoying going somewhere new somewhere beautiful is as i think part of the thrill of uh, being here and being in cambridge yeah definitely we, 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 we've, we've got uh, an outstanding array of restaurants i think independence are definitely at the forefront now which is amazing for cambridge i hope we'll be paying a visit to you out at the shepherds very soon And a reminder that Mark's book can be pre-ordered from the Away With Media website and also that MJP at the Shepherds will reopen after the summer break on the 26th of August. On to our first news break now, starting with the Sunday market at Trumpington Meadows and that's opposite Sainsbury's. It runs from 10 till 3 and stalls include Kettle Tea Leaf, Nonna's Lab, Fudge Apron, Jam Trolley, Ecopair Mobile Refills, Cambridge Luxury Bakes, Raised in Rampton, As Sweet as Jam and Kickstart Coffee. And that's not a complete list. Uh, Last month, Flavour visited the market and had a very nice relaxed time. So if you haven't been, it's really very well worth a look in. That's in Trumpington Meadows. On Sunday the 15th of August, Cook's Nest is at Wild Sky Brewery in Linton from 1 till 4. City Boys will be serving on August Bank Holiday Monday at the Fox and Duck in Buntingford. That's from 1 till 7.30. If you're interested, you can call 01763 271 308 to book a table. And Oyster Lab will be at Café Foy from 3pm today, Saturday and tomorrow. Though we should mention that these dates are weather dependent. You can book online, but walk-ins are welcome too. At the Queen's Head in Newton on 21st August is Gorilla Kitchen. Jamra's Middle Eastern Cuisine will be at Trumpington Meadows on the 27th of August from 5 till 8. The Cherry Tree in Hadlington on the 28th, again from 5 till 8. On the 29th, Jamra will be in Linton at Wild Sky Brewery from 1 till 4. And on the 30th at the Black Horse in Dry Drayton. Order in advance. Maurizio Dining in Mill Road is delivering items like mini bruschetta, mini parmigiana, as well as anti-pasta boards to outdoor events. You can phone them on 07957 735 844 or you can email info at Also, on the 31st of August, Cambridge Wine Merchants is having a South African wine tasting event with a welcoming drink and six wine samples. Tickets are £30, and to book, you simply email one of their branches and include your contact number. Uh, Van der Lyle is getting a temporary new incarnation for two weeks in September. I went along to their busy kitchen this week and asked Alex Rushmer what it was all about. Alex, uh, a new venture, Van der Lyle. <laughs> a great name. Can you tell me what it is? Yeah, Van der Lyle with, a, with an I instead of an A, um, only temporarily, I hasten to add. We, we decided a long time ago that we were going to try um, an opening 
night, certain nights of the week over the course of a month maybe that we wouldn't normally open. So we've been talking for a long time about opening on a, on a Sunday or a Monday evening, maybe once or twice a month, to trial a less formal, less restrictive, much more free-form idea within the same restaurant space. So Vandalal with an I obviously refers to wine, uh, so it's much more of a wine bar, which is the, which is the loosest idea. So we'll be um, temporarily shelving the, the fixed tasting menu, we'll be pouring many more wines by the glass, uh, and we'll, we will be offering small plates uh, instead of an 11 course menu. Right, and so that's for how long? Uh, we're initially running it for two weeks, middle two weeks in September. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the second week in September, and then our usual opening hours, which will be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday for the second week. We will be opening the doors a little bit earlier, and we might be um, taking walk-ins a little bit later as well. So I've, we haven't fully decided what time we're going to open, but we, we certainly on the weekends we expect it to be maybe four or five o'clock. Why are you doing it? Why do you fancy it? Well, this, this is, as I said, this is something that we have talked about for a while. Um, and because of, there's some annual leave that's already, that's been booked in for, for a long time. We decided that we, we don't want to compromise what we do in terms of the tasting menu and the full experience there. We know that we can't operate that offering um, in, from the kitchen uh, if we're short-staffed in the kitchen. So equally in the front of the house as well. If we're, if we're down one or two people in the front of the house, then we certainly don't want to compromise what we do. Um, we didn't want to make any, having spent so long putting the current menu together and working so hard on the reopening, it seems silly to make compromises on that menu. So it seemed like a good opportunity for us to try something that we have been talking about for a while, to create the sort of the sort of place, the sort of atmosphere that we would all like to go for a drink yeah. uh, and and a bite to eat on a on a Friday night or a Saturday night or a or a yeah. Sunday night. Well, I must say it's a typically creative solution to, uh, <laughs> to something that you can't control. Right? Are you um, are you? Given that you don't know how many people you'll get, although I suspect it will be full, Alex, and this notion of walk-ins is hypothetical, uh, but you don't know that, so are you not compromising your stance on, on waste? Because generally you know exactly how many people you're going to get in, you know exactly how much food mm. you're going to use, so there's no waste. I mean, is that... This, this is something that we've that we've considered, and it certainly was part of part of the discussion. We'll, we'll prep, and we'll certainly know within a couple of days if we've prepped enough. Um, I don't know if we'll ever be able to prep too much, um, because there's always outlets for for surplus food to go, um, and also we all we all need to eat as well. So, <laughs> and, and something that we that we we've done since day one is, is what we call family meal I think you know, it's what other, what's otherwise known as staff food but I think that sounds a little bit canteenish uh, a little bit canteenish <laughs> yeah a little bit utilitarian so we call it family meal we all sit down um, at 12 half 12 every day um, so that's always a it's always a good outlet for both creativity and for excess food great stuff right okay well good luck with it and uh, I hope it becomes a regular feature actually uh, thank you more yeah. opening hours <laughs> And we'll have more news later in the programme. Now on to the much-anticipated fansets at 96A Mill Road, run by Holly Mins and Dan Fansett. And Dan has a fantastically impressive background as a chef, 
Morgan M in Islington, Rhodes 24 sharing a kitchen on occasion with Gary Rhodes, a Galvin Bistro in Baker Street, and if that's not enough, a three-star Michelin restaurant in San Sebastian, and also chefing in the Loire Valley. Uh, he set up his first restaurant in Norfolk after all that experience, and I asked him how well it went. It's just a North, North Street Bistro in Burnham Market with my partner Holly. Got into the Michelin Guide, a recommendation in the Michelin Guide. We got in the Good Food Guide. We got awarded two rosettes from, from the AA, which was wonderful. Um, all in the space of three years, so it was wow. really, really, yeah. yeah, it was quite quite an achievement and, yeah, very, very proud. I asked Holly about what the food's going to be like and about the influence of Dan's chefing history. We're going to use British produce, I know lots of people do, but it's French technique, so and then the both of us lived out there for a year when we first got together, so lots of his training has been in France, he right. loves France, we both love France. Well, that was always a dream of mine to work in France, and I, I worked at a couple of Michelin-style restaurants out there, mostly at a, a restaurant called Liotroche, which was, was on the Loire River, it was a Relais Chateau hotel, wonderful experience. So you can expect duck liver parfait, and artichoke on croutes, a really lovely one. And that's Loads what Dan's preparing dishes. now, isn't that's it? That's exactly, yeah, that's yeah. what he's now doing in the kitchen, um, that's a labour of love, but... It will be lovely, but it'll be so four starters, four mains, four desserts on the menu. But yeah, very, very French in its influences. The, one of the great things about the Loire Valley is the wine. I think there's some fantastic wines. I think it's a sort of an undersold area, actually. Presumably, you know all about wines. Exactly. So our our wine list here, we we did it. We did a similar style wine list at the our, the last restaurant we had, and it worked really well. So we only do European wines. So not just French, but we do Spanish, Italian, even some Greek wines, and we've got a really good Greek assistant manager who is very passionate about that specific wine. So yes, it's a, it's a European wine list, so just eight white, two rosé, and then eight red. So it's a, it's a short list, and then we do, we're gonna do serve a Cremant instead of a Prosecco. So yeah, as, as, as French as we can, but definitely all, all European. You know, myself and Theo are knowledgeable about wine, so we'll, we can absolutely, you know, we have wine by the glass or the bottle, so we'll be recommending things. And we're also going to do some lovely aperitifs and digestives, so not so much a cocktail menu, but, you know, Curiales, espresso martini afterwards, so that's going to be a big part of what we do. It's just going to add to the fun atmosphere we want, we want there to be in here, not stuffy at all, just very fun, relaxed. Uh, what hours are you going to do? What days? So we're doing Wednesday to Saturday dinner and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday lunchtime. So our lunch menu will actually be a small set menu. So um, two courses or three course set menu, just two starters, two mains, two desserts on that menu. So, But it will be a really, really good price. So I think the chefs are still hashing out exactly what price that will be. But it will be, yeah, you, know, you know, what these set menus are like. It will be a very good price set menu on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday lunchtimes. Um, when are you going to be open? We've been waiting for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody's been waiting for a few months. We've been waiting for 18 months, so I completely feel everybody's pain massively. It's just, I think, with COVID and Brexit and everything that's been happening, there's been loads of hold-ups, but we're hoping now it should be the end of August, start of September, at the latest. I mean, we've, you know, we've had full-time staff here since June, so we are eager to go the second that we that we can do. Obviously, we didn't want to open before we were ready. We don't want to open with an unfinished product, but we've had a massive build to do here. So, start of September, 
should be the day. That should be the day when, yeah. It's right. So you, if you've had full-time staff since June, you've been paying them since June. They're, they're brilliant. So totally worth it to get the right people on board. And to be honest with you, we thought we'd have them for two weeks before we opened. Yeah. And it's now been a lot longer. But they are worth their weight in gold. So we are happy to be that. But it's difficult. It is very difficult, isn't it? You know, like it's not... You know, the builders and contractors, they give you deadlines, but then it's hard to meet them because of materials and people getting pinged through COVID. And, you know, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? You know, we signed our lease here in April. We started looking at it in November. So it's been, yeah, we've had a lot of work to do. You know, the floors, rewiring, put, putting in the kitchen, putting up walls to create a kitchen in there, adding another bathroom. So it's been a labour of love, but we are, we feel like we're on the brink now. It looks really done in here like visually we think it's 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 nearly there now it's just the bits that you don't see which allow us to function smoothly which are are not quite done yet and a, and a sign we don't have a sign yet oh well Vanderlaal we'll doesn't get, have a sign well I know but we're not we're not as, I don't think we could pull it off they're amazing they're very very cool I think we are I think we are going to get some sort of signage when we can when we can sort it out we just want to cook good food make a living and uh, yeah try and pay our mortgage okay thanks very much the new arrivals in mill road people like vanderlyle scots all day finn boys and now fancits really are impressive and i'm so looking forward to them opening as i know lots of people are they're at 96a mill road which you would think would be next to 94 which is little petra but that part of mill road is numbered very oddly so 96a is between tank optometrists and al amin More news now, starting with summer holiday closures. Meadows Shop in Eltersley Avenue is staying open for the whole of the summer. However, its online presence will be closed until the 27th of August. The Three Horseshoes in Maddingley has reopened and MJP at the Shepherds is closed until the 28th of August. Finn Boys in Mill Road reopens on the 18th of August. The Wine Room's August opening hours are Thursday 5 till 11pm Fridays and Saturdays, noon till 11pm, and that's in Hills Road. Congratulations to Glebe Farm near Huntingdon. You may remember that they produce an oat-based milk called Pure Oaty. They were taken to court by the Swedish-based company that produces another oat-based milk called Oatly. Now, the court case was about whether or not Glebe Farm were guilty of attempting to take unfair advantage of Oatly's trademarks with their oat drink called Pure Oaty. Now, on the facts of this case, I don't see that there is any risk of injury to the distinctive character of Oatley's marks. The judge, he found against Oatley, and he said, If Oatley loses sales, then it seems to me that that would be the result of there being a rival oat drink product on the market, and not because of the attractiveness of its brand as a badge of origin has been in any way diminished by the defendant's use of the pure O.T. sign. The judge concluded... This is a relatively low or, at best, very modest level of similarity between the sign and the marks, and that similarity is due to the presence in both the sign and the marks of the letters OAT that are descriptive of the relevant products. Oatly has said that it will not appeal against this judgment. Well, that is very good news, and congratulations to Ria Falvo of Bumble and Oak for drawing the court case to the attention of so many people and organising an incredibly successful petition in favour of Glebe Farm. And you can buy Glebe Farm's milk at Meadows in Eltersley Avenue. 
Meanwhile, back in Sweden, another company is making potato milk, which uses half the amount of land than making milk from oats does. The product is called Doug, and you can get it online now. And Signorelli's Deli has donated all its Romanian oak tabletops to the foundation set up by Stella Pereira. A unique set of hand-carved pieces will be created from the oak to raise funds for her foundation. They'll be on view at the Mercato by Signorelli in the Grafton Centre in the run-up to Christmas. It's on right now and running till 7pm tonight. It's the Trumpington Meadows Country Park 5th birthday party. Taking place in the Meadows Square outside Sainsbury's, it incorporates a produce market along with street food vans. We featured these in a recent episode, by the way, uh, along with crafts, children's entertainments, plenty of those, dance performances, a family picnic, live music and a wildlife bug safari. The organisers really do go all in for variety at this bash. That's the Trumpington Meadows fifth birthday party. And just to repeat, it's on right now and running till seven tonight. Here's where we bring you details of free food available now in and around Cambridge. The information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app, which is free to download. Yeah, and using the app, here are some examples of what's been available locally and recently. Apples from our tree is the sign written on the box by Sarah, who lives on Fanshawe Road. Free Cambridge-grown apples available for pickup. Meanwhile, John on Romsey Terrace has a potted Vietnamese coriander to give away. He describes it as a perfumed herb, goes gorgeous with salads, and he's got two of these available, one potted, one unpotted. Anna lives on East Road, just by Thrive Cafe, and she's got a full pinter of yew tree semi-skimmed milk to give away, with a use-by date of the 18th of August, whilst Paige in Chesterton has three packs of Galaxy Enchanted Eggs, all in date and all available. And... Just to remind you, that is a few of the things available on the Earlio app, currently free for pickup. There's always plenty of new items, so grab a bargain, stop these things going to waste. And another free app, called Too Good To Go, has unsold food from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price. Rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag and it's ready for you to take home, and that's instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading. Moving on to our next feature now, and Sue caught up with Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, the other day and found out about the really quite innovative business that he has set up. Tell me more about what you've been doing, chefing-wise. We've taken ourselves away from the plough for the time being, certainly. We're not involved with that anymore. We're having a bit more family time. So what we've started off is the Foraging Chef, and we've called it the Foraging Chef at Your Home, where we're doing private catering. We're available to book to come and cook five, seven or nine course tasting menus around your house. We can do drinks pairings with it. We have packages where we can take you out on a foraging walk the next day. We can do pastries for you and everything like that. So it's really exciting if you want a private chef for some really interesting food to wow some of your friends or for an anniversary or for just a special, just to treat yourself, because why not? Um, The other spin-off to it, though, that we're doing as well, which is what we started this weekend, is kind of like our street food style, we're calling it. It's very much still our fine dining style of food, but we cook it over an open fire in the middle of fields for people. That sounds quite challenging. It was certainly interesting for the first one. Yeah, we, um, we basically say if you provide the fire, we'll turn up and make a meal for you. And we sort of like to do small events, and it's three-course meal we do. So this one was for sort of mid-20s to 30 sort of people. 
and it was a nice little party in the Cotswolds. And yeah, it went really well. We, we don't do, as you can imagine, we don't do traditional barbecue food. We use the stove as a heat, so we don't just barbecue everything. We bury things in the coal, we use it as a stove anyway. And we're just playing around with everything and having really good fun and creating some really fun food in the middle of nowhere for people to have parties. One of the things I love about your food is the way in which you put so much care and thought into the pairings of the different flavours and the identity of the dishes. Yeah, it's it's all about well it's 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 all about letting certain flavours sing, but it's not about one element, it's all about the collectiveness at the end of it. And that's what we really go for. So like Green Gauge dish, the layers of different flavours in there, you might have each one on their own and go, What's he thinking? You put it all together. And you might still go, what's he thinking? But <laughs> the chances are that it'll work nicely for you and it's a real nice, vibrant flavours and we like to we like to use big, bold flavours. We actually use plants that people have forgotten to use before, like past generations of us have used and then now it's just things like fat hen that have been farmed before, like dandelions. I know these aren't uncommon plants, but we should be bringing them back into the forefront rather than flying everything in and... We should be looking after our planet a bit more with that. Mm. And we try and show that in our cooking. Well, I think that's lovely because, again, this is something that you're planning on doing is perhaps, you know, more talks and more taking people on foraging walks and getting more involved on that type of thing. Yeah, I think it's something we're definitely going to be doing. We're going to be starting up some foraging walks and we'll do some wild food cookery classes and things like that. It's all about getting this up the ground. So really the more bookings we get the quicker we can start doing the exciting things and find a premises for us but i think yeah doing the foraging chef for us now and doing all these fun things is the way forward and that's how we're going to go that's great and of course you're sort of showcasing everything that you do on your instagram feed aren't you yeah so check us out on chef steve thompson on instagram if you type the foraging chef in it still finds us um also facebook the foraging chef and we are in the process of having a website designed. So Excellent. hopefully that'll be up and running soon. And we should have some lovely little Foraging Chef merchandise for you all to see, hopefully by the next time we talk. Oh, that sounds great. Oh, perfect. And after the break, which is coming up next, we'll hear more from Steve Thompson about what can be done with fat hen and unripe wild green gauges and get other ideas for August foraging. And Rosie Sykes will be here with some jam advice. See you in two. Cambridge 105 Radio. In 1960s Cambridge, you might have shopped at Joshua Taylor, gone roller skating at the Corn Exchange and seen the Beatles perform live at the Regal Cinema. On Sunday mornings, John Gannon takes you back in time with hits and memories from the swinging decade. John Gannon's 60s scene, Sundays at 8am on the station that's live and local. Cambridge 105 Radio. Looking to buy a new home this summer but it feels out of reach? Think getting on the property ladder just isn't an option for you? Think again. New homes in Haverhill and Cottenham are available now with shared ownership with your mortgage deposit as low as from £4,000. The final two and three bedroom homes at Bower Place and Boyton Place also have exclusive incentive packages available worth over £2,500. With £1,000 shopping vouchers, £500 towards your solicitor's fees and three months rent-free, book your viewing today to find out what's on offer. Reserve from just £99 and find your new home this summer. Think shared ownership, think complete moves. Visit complete-moves.co.uk or call 020-3640-7111 today. Terms and conditions apply. Need dropping off at work? Missed the bus and must make that urgent appointment? Need picking up after a night out with your mates? Panther Taxis is your Cambridge-based 
taxi firm with over 700 drivers, offering great rates and local knowledge, ensuring you make it quickly and safely to your destination. We don't inflate our prices at peak times, and all our drivers accept payments by cash or card. Book your taxi the easy way. Download our free Panther Taxis app through your app store and start booking your taxis on the go. Call Cambridge 715 715 or see Panther Taxis, your local quick, reliable and friendly taxi company in the city. Welcome back to Flavour and we'll start the second half with Rosie Sykes' jam advice. Rosie has been on our last few programmes with some really tasty ideas for jam, but jam making doesn't always go according to plan. So here's Rosie with some personal experience. On the subject of sugar, weight for weight for things like rhubarb, what about sweeter things like strawberries or raspberries or uh, apricots? You'd use less sugar? Yeah, I would, but I wouldn't go much below sort of 700 for a kilo just because otherwise you're never going to get a set. You're just going to struggle to get any kind of a set, even with a jam sugar, unless you boil it until... One of my favourite jam stories, one must always have a jam story, mustn't they, was that my sister, um, what my middle sister, was really into kind of health food and stuff. And we had a peach tree at the house that we all grew up in. And I remember every year we'd go out and see if there were any peaches and there really very rarely were, sadly. But one year there were about mm, 20 peaches or something like that. And she brought them in a bit early and she ripened on the windowsill and she really looked after them. And then she said, I'm going to make jam with them. And she found some sort of cranks, very sort of natural cooking recipe to follow that required practically no sugar but instead what it required was sort of I don't know about so many hours of boiling and I can remember at the end she produced half of a jar of this sort of brown very tar like substance (laughs) it was the peach jam from all these peaches that we'd all kind of looked at and thought oh i'd love to eat one of those but no we weren't allowed near them because they were going to make (laughs) amazing jam of which there was probably a teaspoon each um of tar like substance oh dear and did the tar like substance taste nice i don't think i remember i think i was so cross that i i couldn't taste anything probably knowing me i was probably only about 10 so um so, yes, yeah, you have to get the balance right. And also the thing is, if you take the sugar down, it's not going to preserve it. So it's really just becomes a coolie. Uh, thanks to Rosie Sykes, who can currently be heard on the first Steak and Honour podcast, which you can find via their Instagram messages. And now some ideas from Steve Thompson for August Foraging. Steve spoke with Sue Bailey earlier in the week. So we've got the autumn fruits out. Uh, the autumn fruits are just coming and the prunus is what we're going to start talking about. So that's your kind of your plum family. So we've got your slows, your green gauges, loads of different types of plums. And we'll probably touch more on what we do with the ripe ones next month. Some of them are just starting to ripen up now, but most of it is unripe. And that's what we've been using at the moment. So we've just done a little dessert that will come out on our social media probably in the next few days that's based around unripe green gauges. So I thought I'd talk about the process that we do with them. Green gauges and the Cambridge gauge, that's 
quite a local fruit, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And there's quite a lot of it about if you look carefully. So it's a really good way of preserving it in a different style. So we take the unripe fruit, we gently prick them, just with a fork or something like that a couple of times, and then we leave them in a 20% brine. So one litre of water, 200 grams of salt and 200 grams of sugar. We leave them there for a week. That gets them really nice and salty. It gets a really good flavour into them. What we do then is we soak them in cold water. So we just run all that salt water off, give them a good wash, and then leave them soaking in cold water for about six hours. And that just gets rid of that kind of acrid saltiness that you get. And it gives us what is kind of like a cross between a nice sharp apple, a green gauge, and an olive. It's, it's a wonderful little way of preserving it. And because it's got all those flavour profiles, you can use it in so many different ways. So you could use it as if it was an olive and use it with, like, say, oily fish or something like that. Or, as we did, we chucked it on the barbecue and did it as a kind of our version of an eaten mess. So you sort of barbecue it and then put it with meringues or, or Yeah, what? we then kind of added another element with the smokiness. We did burnt hay-flavoured meringues. We did it with charred sunflower seeds using last year's seeds out of our garden. We did it with um, a sweet woodruff mousse. Ooh. Sweet woodruff is a plant I think we've talked about before. It's in the same family as um, cleavers mm-hmm. uh, or sticky weed, as most of us know it by. But it has an intense flavour when it's dried, much like tonka bean. So it's kind of like a rich, rich vanilla, if you don't know what tonka bean is, with kind of grassy elements to it. But yeah, so all those kind of flavours going in there. And then we used an elderflower vinegar and made a caramel out of that so we had like more sharp so it was real sharp zingy malty biscuity yeah and it's, it's it's a nice way to use them up but that could equally as well have gone with a nice little bit of mackerel that you got from the local fishmonger or something like that and they're really versatile but it's a really great way to store the unripe plums so you can do it with any type of prunus really we're going to have a try with slows this year although the difference with slows is that there's not a lot of berry on them true (laughs) yeah uh, we won't be doing it like we did here where we kind of cut it into petals and used it like an olive we'd then probably cook it down and get rid of the pips that way so it's all about thinking about reward basically how much work you want to put in it to get to the reward at the end you don't want to sit there and (laughs) Mm. gently peel a load of slows but if you did that and you got that flavor into it it might make a really interesting tapenade say like you would with olives or something like that as long as you've got your stone in there, your kind of classic plum stone, then that's showing you you're from the Prunus family and they're right. safe. So right. give it a try with any of those. And they're absolutely everywhere. Wild plums, green gauges, slows, anything like that is just covering all the hedgerows right now. Another plant that we use, which is really good, we used on this same event, is uh, mugwort. And that's all along the roadsides at the moment. It's just starting to go to seed. So grab the leaves quick, because normally when a plant starts to go to seed, the leaves then don't become as tasty right but what i find with mugwort is that it's okay still when it goes to seed because the leaves just get a little bit more bitter and that's one of its classic flavor profiles anyway i'd say it's like a very light version of sage it's got definite sage characteristics to it but it's much more bitter and it was used as say maybe a hops replacement in making beer in old times and things like that because of obviously the bitterness to counteract the sweetness of the amount of sugar you had to put in so it's got a long history as a, as a sort of foraged herb, as it were, plant. Yeah. yeah, exactly that. And it's it's another lovely one to use. It's It's got a few other interesting characteristics. I find that 
it gives you very vivid dreams after you've been handling it and using it like that. So I know people, certain people smoke it and things like that to get really vivid dreams. <laughs> so it's a really interesting plant, but that's all over the hedgerows at the moment. And we, we like to use it nicely. We had some deep fried with a rabbit dish and we quite often dry it out and use it as a spice later in the year. What do its leaves and flowers look like? So it's got quite a characteristic sort of leaf. It's got kind of like the three-pronged shape right. to its leaf. And then the tips are quite spiky. On the underside, it's silver. And on the Ooh, top, it's green. Right, and it grows straight it up. Like. And it's got seeds. The flowers are like kind of almost like seeds on the top. It's, it's an easy one to have a look on online and see pictures. And what we'll do is we can post some pictures up of it as well with this. Okay, excellent. And it'll be an easier way to kind of uh-huh. see how it grows. But it's, it's all over the hedgerows at the moment. And it's, a, it's an easy one to identify with a tiny, tiny bit of just uh. prior... Try Googling, say, for instance. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing we've been gathering at the moment, which we're yet to use, but is um, a close relative of quinoa, is the seeds from fat hen. And I think it's something we've probably talked about in the past, is using the leaves of fat hen. It's kind yes. of like a wild spinach. And that's got great use. But when it goes to seed now, yeah, quinoa, basically, is the way to think of it. What we do is we pick all the seeds off. We then wash them really well. Because the kind of there's a tiny, really thin outer film on each of the seeds that kind of contains saponins and can be bitter, which is kind of like the soapiness. So we wash that off and then we dry it out. And then we can use it like a grain or we can grind it, mill it and use it like a flour. Now, I'd say with all of the similar sort of quinoa and stuff like that, the flavour on its own isn't huge, but it's a very good vessel. And it's a nice way of using and getting that kind of texture and bulk into your cooking. Has it been used as a, as a grain before or in different countries? I mean, I've never heard of it. I, w- as a I would grain say, at all. I, I think probably we've farmed it before because a lot of the weeds that we have grown now have been things that we've farmed previously in history and then just stopped. I mean, it was only in Victorian times when people used to encourage dandelions in their lawn, wasn't it? That's right. And absolutely encouraged them, which is why they're such a prolific thing now. And now we spend all our time trying to get rid of them. That's right, whereas the French would go out and say, oh, dandelions, put them in the salad. Yeah, exactly that. And I think it just is all rotation. But fat hen is great. The best place to look for that is where you've had recently turned over soil. So my mum is digging up her garden at the moment and hasn't quite finished a big patch. So we've got a sort of eight foot by eight foot patch where it's all just sprung up. And each plant has about 10,000 seeds on it. Good grief. So, yeah, there's a good bounty of things to collect. And so you have to wait till they're completely dry on the plant no i tend to not with seed collecting the jury's out on it some people wait till they're all dry on when collecting any seeds some people wait and get them greener i tend to go for the greener side and then dry them myself Hmm. you get one you get a better yield um you're going to dry them anyway so it doesn't make a huge amount of difference so So i find they lost off the plant yeah exactly and i find that they hold themselves and shape a bit better they can be once you've dried them out they can be a bit plumper still and you just get a nicer yield. And I find as well that the flavour's a bit truer in a lot of things. Certainly with hogweed seeds, I find that I think the speed of drying out makes a difference. If they're left naturally on the plant to dry out, it could be slow. But if I'm putting them in a dehydrator at a higher temperature, I'm drying them out in a couple of hours. And I think it retains a bit more sweetness that way. True, and intensifies the flavour perhaps. A bit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. When we're, when we're drying, what we're doing is we're driving out the water, aren't we? So it's like the reverse of making a glass of squash. So you're you're really, you're taking the water away from that glass of squash and you're having that neat product. Mm. And that's, that's half the reason for drying. The other half is preserving. And the other thing to look out for is 
if people are going up to the beach at the moment, which is what we've had a few nice little walks up there, is checking out on the edge of all the salt marshes. It's lovely at the moment. There is still the tail end of sort of sand fire happening. There's bits and pieces of sea blight, which is another similar-ish one. Um, It's another easy one to identify. But the most abundant one that we've been picking lots at the moment, which is absolutely everywhere, is uh, sea purslane. What does that look like? It's lovely little sort of oval leaves. It's on a really woody plant. I would say the leaves not too dissimilar in sort of colours, certainly to like sage and things like that. But it's it's just absolutely everywhere over the coast. And it's another one with just a nice, salty, herbaceous flavour to it. We tend to cider pickle it. I find that's a really good way of holding it. So we do our one, two, three pickling liquor that I always talk about. We replace the water with cider. And we use cider vinegar. And it's just a really nice way. That kind of appliness goes really well with sea vegetables anyway. But really well with sea purslane. And we've had a lovely dish that we've done with that with like raw turnip and miso cured turnip and seaweeds alexander seeds and then pickled sea vegetables it was a nice little vegan one we were cooking over open fire at the weekend oh that sounds gorgeous i can i can taste the sea as you're talking about it it's kind of it was our vegan fish course so using different seaweeds to create a fish flavor in a dish that contains no fish so it's just kind of yeah trying to think about more imaginative ideas Well, Steve Thompson has no shortage of imaginative ideas. Contact him via social media if you'd like him to cook for you at home. And that's our music signalling time for the Twitter news. We have to pre-record our programmes now because of limited access to the Cambridge 105 radio studios as a result of the virus. So we can't bring you today's tweets, but we can tell you that you can follow Flavour on Twitter, where we are at Flavour 105. Yeah, and we're on Instagram too, also as Flavour 105. That's the familiar sound of green onions signalling the start of our jobs section. Cambridge Sustainable Food are looking for some volunteers. On Monday the 16th of August, two are needed to help the holiday lunch food preparation at the Buchan Street Neighbourhood Centre from 9 until 12.30pm. Now also on Monday, a volunteer driver will be needed to collect meals from Buchan Street at 10.30 to deliver to Coldham's Common by 11.15. And a volunteer driver is needed to collect food from Buchan Street at 12.30 to deliver to Coldham's Common at 1.15 and then return thermal boxes to Buchan Street. Volunteers are also needed on the 18th, 19th and 20th of August. But don't worry if you didn't catch all of those dates because full details can be found from the Cambridge Sustainable Foods social media or you can contact them by email volunteer at cambridgesustainablefood.org for more details. For all the jobs today, check out the relevant social media or websites for full information and how to apply. Or try popping in at a quiet time to ask. There is a huge number of posts available, so some negotiation about hours or pay might be possible. People are desperate. Uh, Here are some from our list. The Waterman in Chesterton Lane needs a breakfast chef, full or part-time, between three and five shifts per week with no evenings but a 6.30am start some days. Details can be found on the City Pub website. 
Chef de Partie are needed at Gonville and Keys College, Parker's Tavern, which is also looking for commie chefs, Fitzbillies, who require two years' experience, and provenance. Chefs are needed at Wagamama, the Flock Cafe at Burwash Manor, the Bathhouse in Bennett Street, which is a Green King pub, so check that website for details. And if you are applying for a job, good luck. And that about wraps up our programme for today. Don't forget that we are here on alternate Saturdays at 12 noon, repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm, and we will also be available via podcast early in the next week. Coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1 o'clock is Business of Cambridge with Sue Keogh. Uh, But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 28th of August and we'll have lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.